Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, this morning. I pray um, that you will turn our hearts, you will, um, as, a, as a farmer turns the soil. And I pray that um, what you want to say to us, what you want to speak to us, will fall into the soil of our hearts like seed. And that um, you will cover it, Jesus, with your own life. And that it will find good, good soil, uh, a good place to grow in our lives. And that it will develop um, and we will be like you at the end. Amen. So um, we're in this eighth week of this nine-week series about transitions. Um, it's been really a great, really a great series, at least for me personally, and I've heard the same is true for some of you. Um, I was kind of looking at some things over the last couple of days in preparation for this talk, and what I realized is these, these, these Israelites have not made much of a transition <laughs> in many ways, and, and we have wandered with them really through just a few key texts in Joshua and Numbers. Um, we really haven't roamed very much, just a few pages in the Bible, but it's been really rich and very, very dense. They also hadn't wandered very much, and as I can tell, each of these stories that we're telling, they're like 100 miles apart in terms of geography, so, th- you know, these years are passing by, but they aren't going very far, and uh, maybe there's a metaphor for us in that transition <laughs> as well in some ways. You know, the, today takes place, this setup for today takes place, uh, Moses... Um, has uh, had this uh, this moment with his with his fellow Israelites where they despise God and they twist as Matt said uh, last week they've twisted who God is and they've hated him really and he has responded um, with love relenting and not destroying them although although that they they certainly have sort of had that coming not destroying them but instead choosing to allow them to live but also choosing to have them wander in the desert for 38 years and so that has just happened when we get to this, this text. They set out on this journey. They don't know exactly how long it's going to be, but they're apparently in a big hurry to get there. He sends them down along the Red Sea, and so they start out, and the shortest route possible to get there is blocked by the Edomites, who are ferocious and big and strong, and so they have to make an unwanted detour because the Edomites won't let them pass through their land. And so this then brings us to where they are in Numbers 21, and we have these verses here. I'm going to read them. Uh, you can follow along. We're, we're going to leave this up uh, through a lot of... We're, we're going to flip to some different verses, but we're going to keep coming back to this at the end because it's really the main text for the day. And so that way, you know, if you're thinking, what did, he, what, did, now what did that thing say again? You'll have the opportunity to go back and read it as well. So that'll be good. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? It's a lie. He didn't do that. There is no bread. There is no water. That's not true. <laughs> and we detest this mis- miserable food. They detested the food. It was manna and quail. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord spoke to Moses. He said, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and he put it up on a pole. And when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. The, a pretty straight passage. And, and really what it comes down to this. Why does God send snakes into people's lives? He sends snakes into our lives to get us to look up at him. To, to turn our gaze onto him. That, that's unequivocal. It's clear. You can't really pad that. That's what it says. 
there's another uh, prophet. This is like that first song the band did. This is a warning, right? This is a warning. Get out of the water. Um, there's another place where a, a, a prophet says it even more clearly. He says, the prophet Hosea said, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. Now, regardless of your religious persuasion, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to, I would imagine this sets off your pinger, or it should, especially in our culture today. If we're honest, when we see something like that, what we likely are feeling is, if that's who he is, I don't want to serve him. He doesn't seem, a, a God that would send snakes to bite me doesn't seem like a particularly loving God. And so we come down in a number of different places on that. Either I don't want anything to do with that at all, or I will, I will go part way. I, I will choose to believe or I'll trust the things that Jesus said, but I won't really trust him to do the life he's asking me to live because it's too hard, and I don't like snakes. I don't like snakes. Um, but snakes get a bad rap, I think. Um, you know, snakes... Um, I mean, who hasn't met a snake that they like? I mean, who hasn't met a snake, you know, that you can kind of curl up with at night, warm, bear? You know, who needs a cat when you can have a snake? You can just curl up. A snake that smiles at you. Uh, I, I remember, you know, as a kid, we had, um, we had, I had some experience with snakes. Uh, I, I remember one time, I mean, I had a lot of experiences with snakes, and rattlesnakes in particular. I remember this one particularly friendly snake, rattlesnake, um, we, I was hiking with some friends on the Pacific Crest Trail. We were, I don't know, 15, 16, something like that. And we had built our camp down along a, by a, a creek that was beautiful there. It was evening, and it, they were in a steep canyon, you know, so evening comes, dark comes fast once the clouds, once the sun goes behind the, the hills. And so we were trying to get the camp set up quickly. We started a fire so we'd have something to, to cook our food on. And we were having a great time. And, and, and this very friendly snake arrived. And he was just somewhat um, unhappy that we had, in fact, built our fire where his nest was. Um, he didn't like that very much. And so he just sort of, you know, curled up there um, in front of the fire and hissed at us while everything was burning and boiling over. And, and we loved him. He was, he was sweet. And, and eventually we ended our relationship um, with that snake. But snakes, <laughs> I said in the first service, snakes come in all shapes and sizes. And afterwards, somebody came up to me and said, they actually don't. They, they come in sizes, but they don't come in different snakes. They don't come in different shapes. They pretty much come in one shape, and everybody knows a snake when they see it. But snakes get a bad rap. They really do get a bad rap. I, I, I have a friend. I'm not sure if uh, I have not asked for permission to tell a story, so I am changing the names and the events and some of the, some of the details to hide the, the, the identities of the, of the guilty here. So um, here goes. I'm going to be in trouble. Okay, so a friend related this story to me recently about how he was driving in traffic and he had um, his two children. Now, that's a clue. We only have two children. It's a guy. We were kind of peering in on who this might be. Um, and driving through traffic, kids in the back seat. Uh, who knows what's going on back there? You probably don't want to know if you have kids in the back seat just trying to get through life, trying to get through somewhere, get somewhere really quickly. And as he's going through traffic, uh, some wonderful person cut him off. And um, reality is, he was not offended so much that the person cut him off and endangered the lives of his children. He was just angry that the person cut him off. That's all it was. And so he blessed that person uh, out loud. 
with some volume. And uh, not long after that, a voice came from the back seat and said, Dad, why are you so angry at that man? It was the voice of a snake. Uh, it's a good snake. See, God sends snakes. They do come in all shapes and sizes into our lives to challenge the points in our life where we're not following very well, where there's an inconsistency in our lives between who we say we are, who we, who we, what we say we believe, and the way we actually live. I had a snake appear in my life this week. It came in the form of a question. I was listening to a, a recording uh, of an interview with a guy named Dallas Willard. Now, Dallas Willard, um, that may, may, my, may not mean anything to you, but he's, uh, he's a guy that writes books that take about six years to write. They take about six and a half to seven years to read. Um, and so you can never really fully catch up, and they're dense. And he's a truly humble person with real wisdom, and he's a great thinker. <coughs> and I'm going to I paraphrased what his question was a little bit, but I'm going to read his question, which really was a snake that God sent into my life. He said, um, imagine if you were a, a first century Christian in Rome, and, and someone has just told you that salvation is found, found by receiving Christ and by making uh, a relationship with him on, on, the, on the work that he did on the cross. And imagine that you also realize that if, if, if you accept that and, and you make this confession that this person is offering to you, that um, you will be fed to lions or you will face gladiators or you will be hung on a cross of your own in just a matter of months. And it may be swifter than that. So, would you profess Christ? Would you really choose to be a disciple? In that moment, it was easy to see that the offering was not simply to be a believer in Jesus, but to be a disciple, someone who walked in Christ's shoes. I mean, they were just slaughtering Christians by the hundreds. They were just putting them up on the side of the road on crosses. And so there was no ambiguity that to choose to be a follower of Jesus meant to possibly follow him onto the cross. So when, with the words that Jesus said, you know, take up your cross, I mean, people really knew they might be taking up their cross. It's a hard thought experiment. That's a kind of a snake. There's lots of kinds of snakes, but that's one of them. We have it easier now. We don't talk much about lions, and we don't talk much about snakes or gladiators when we present the case for Christ around us. We, um, we can profess Christ in our lives and more or less go on with our lives completely undented and unchanged and unimpacted by his life. That was not possible. Um, you know, in many ages, it's not been possible. And here's the point then. Too often, we think we can become believers and we think we can ignore Christ's call to become disciples. But there are snakes. Um, the thought occurred between the services to me that um, we don't like snakes. But, you know, when, when there's an emergency happening in our lives, the question is what, and, and, and you're off the path, the question is what kind of friend do you want? Do you want the friend that's going to tell you that everything is okay when in fact it's not? Or do you want the kind of friend that's willing to put a mirror in front of your face and say, take a look in the mirror. This is what is coming down the line. M imagine a tidal wave is coming and your friends live at the beach. Do you, do you simply call them up and say, the, ri the, the tide is rising, that you'll be okay? Or do you get a bulldozer 
And do you go down and knock their house down and tell them, get out of here, go to higher ground, you're going to perish? Who's the better friend? We have done a poor job of confronting the real epic nature of life, that it's life of contrast, extreme contrast, not a blending of things, not a coming together in the middle. Life is lived in real contrast. We've presented, I think, a, a kind of story about what it means to be a Christian that is lazy, a low bar, a slow walk. Difficulties of faith have been undersold. And I think that that has led us also to not be very good disciples. If we really have faced our lions in life and realized that if we become a follower of Jesus that we're going to face some pretty, pretty wicked big lions, some snakes, and we've learned to trust God for that, we get to that moment, then it won't be near as hard to trust him with other things in our lives, like our finances, like the sandwich we want to have this afternoon. We can really move on to become disciples. So the key, I think, is really to consider that. So with that in mind, I want to point out some differences between believers and disciples. So you can begin to think in your head, okay, so where am I in this thing? Where am I? So um, am, I not, am I not a believer yet? Am I a believer but not a disciple? Am I really tracking as a disciple? If I am committed only as a believer, I will not derive the full benefit of the thing I say I believe in. That's the first one. And I'm going to return to these and unpack them in a minute. There's four. Two, a believer burns few, few calories on their faith. A believer burns few calories in their faith. A disciple burns many. Three, a believer never proves their faith. A disciple proves their faith in every moment. Four, a disciple is a person of real integrity. And if you are primarily a mere believer, you lack integrity. Them fighting words right there. Okay. Let's take the first one. A believer will not derive the benefit of the thing that they say they believe in. The disciple derives the full benefit. And so I'm going to use my um, athletic uh, experience to explain this one. So about a, about a year, well, about two years ago, maybe more than that now, I started to get, uh, I hit, have hit this magic 5-0. And if you think your life starts to fall apart at 40, wait till 50. And I think it just gets worse near as I can tell. Um, but I was not happy with either the uh, the the, the, the metrics that the doctor was reading to me when I was reading when I was visiting the doctor and I wasn't happy with my level of conditioning I'd been an, uh, uh, had been a competitive athlete earlier in my life and and there were a lot of things I could no longer do in fact uh, I think that I, a lot of my uh, language was I can't do that anymore I can't do this thing I can't do that thing and I got desperate and I got more and more desperate and I realized that there were real lions out there for people who become immobile that I needed to get more mobility that I needed to get stronger because Life doesn't look very attractive to me at 70 if in that unhealthy way. And so I just said, okay, 70's in the sights. I need to start working towards that now. So for whatever reason, because well, actually for reasons, I'll tell you, I, I think the best program in that situation for me was something that would work on all the functionality in my life. I had been a distance runner, and I needed to move from being a specialist into being really strong at a number of different things. Everything was possible. So, um, so I started this thing called CrossFit. It was the best option I thought that was out there. So I, I went um, to uh, the gym, and I met this coach, um, and some of you know him. And uh, so I went and the first day, and a couple things happened. So first, um, I, I, 
I got some information about some, some snakes, actually. I got snakes all the time on this trip. My diet wasn't going to work for me. I, was, I thought I was, I was a pretty clean eater, and I was finding out, learning uh, because of what he said and because of some books and things I'd read, that my diet was not going to work for me. That was a snake because I'm a guy who likes ice cream at night, and that wasn't going to be in the new, the new world. So, um, so that was bad. Um, okay, th I also got this introductory workout. Yeah. Um, so um, to say it was like a, si a few cycles of different activities, and it just seemed like they were endless, but it was really just seven minutes. Um, and somewhere around five minutes during a set of push-ups, I had like stopped doing push-ups like you know in, in a regular position, and I had started doing push-ups on my knees. And at some moment around five minutes, I was on the floor with my face like this, and I was thinking, I cannot get off the floor to do a push-up on my knee. This is killing me. I was just uh, a hub, just a mass of sweat um, and tears and whatever else was coming out of me at that moment. It was terrible. I was told what the cost of the program would be, and it was not insignificant. Um, that day, I got a view of the lines that I was facing if I wanted to go forward. And what I would say is that 18 months later, I'm glad I knew what the lines were. Because in a way, I didn't face an, any, un, I, I, didn't, I didn't know the full size of the lines at the time, but I didn't have to face them later. And, and now I have a lot of the benefits that I wanted. But I had to embrace. I had to embrace the snakes. I had to go ahead and accept the bad news. I had to take it. I was being bitten, and I had to make the change. So let's imagine something different. This is going to make it to back to Jesus here eventually. But let's imagine if on the first day my coach had said, hey, come on in. Look, in this program, you just got to do your best. Um, you, uh, it doesn't really matter how often you do this. Um, it doesn't matter really that much how much effort you give. Really, the main thing for you to do is to believe that this is the right program for you. That's what's going to raise things. Just just believe that this is the right program, and, and that's the most important thing. And by the way, it's, it's, it's cheap. So, uh, you know, then imagine I go like three, I go like, I've been going for 30 days, and imagine if a coach had come to me and said, you know, um, it, of course you're, you're getting the benefits of, of, of being in this program, being a, being a CrossFitter, but you know, um, you, probably, um, you probably need to do this diet thing too. Okay, it's a little change, but I can handle that. And then imagine two weeks later he came and said, you know, in the frequency thing, you know, one time every two weeks is probably not going to get it. You know, three to four times a week is probably what you're going to need. Okay. Oh, and by the way, heavy things, you're going to lift heavy things over your head. Okay. Okay, I'll take Oh, and, and by the way, um, you know, the thing that you're worst at doing, we're going to focus on the worst thing. Yeah, that, uh, up till now in your life you've been focusing, everybody's told you to be... Do the things you're good at more and more. Here, we're just gonna we're just gonna send more. You got snakes there. We'll just send more snakes in there. We'll just show you really, you know, how bad you are at this thing. And you know, eventually you'll get less bad. That'll be the goal. You'll just be less bad. Um, I would feel like I had been taken. I would feel like that was a bait and switch because it would be. And maybe more importantly, I can't imagine that I would have lasted because you, <laughs> I would have been lied to. And I would have never lasted in the program to get the benefits that I'm enjoying now. Okay, and so that's pretty much what Christians have done with Christianity, right? We set a really low bar for people. A low bar has been set for all of us in the room that are Christians. So we need to realize most of us came in the door this way. That we were just told, just believe. That's all you got to be, just believe. It's no big deal. Just believe. 
Jesus is your Savior, and you'll, and you'll receive salvation. And that's true. But at some point in time, somebody came to you, and they said, oh, you know, and by the way, um, God owns everything. That has some implications for your sexuality, for your friendships, for your family, for your finances, for everything. But that's it. There's nothing else. There's nothing else but that. Oh, and the prayer thing. Yeah. There's going to be some prayer involved, too. Um, some dis- these things called disciplines, oh, it's just like, I don't know, depends on who's counting, but it's between 8 and 15, depending on how you break them out. You're not probably good at more than about two of them, but br- you need to start trying to figure out which ones you're bad at so you can just do those all the time. That'll be, that'll be fun. Um, oh, yeah, and uh, that's it, though. Don't worry. Except loving your neighbor. Oh, there's that, too. You've got to love your neighbor. And, um, you know, that's it, though. Don't worry. Except, except, except. And it's been a bit of a bait. I think it's being a Christian has been a bit of a bait and switch. Jesus didn't present that way to people. He gave a more fully orbed uh, argument to people about what it meant to be like him, what people call Christians. In John 3, 14 through 16, you're going to at least know the last part of this verse, but um, the second, excuse me, the, the last part of it, but the first part is just wonderful. Um, in this passage, Jesus is likening himself to the snake in the desert that we read about in Numbers. So this is just an amazing connection one-to-one. So this is how part of the reason why we know that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the prophecies in the Bible, because in many cases, he made it just so clear. Here he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, Whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have life without end. And this is just so clear here that the first part of the gospel that most of us have heard is just true, that salvation is, is readily available. You know, when Jesus was the snake on the cross, when he was dying on the cross, when he was the snake on the pole, when he was dying on the cross, there were two other men on, on, on each side of him that were crucified there as well. And one of them spoke to him and said, remember me when you come into paradise. And he said, it will be so. It will be so. And so in a, in a real way, salvation is just that easy. There's a real moment in time where we make a decision, we make a, an ascent, if you will, to be his follower and to, and, and, and to go to the cross with him. And we receive salvation in that moment. But Jesus also said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross to follow me. He combined the two together. He didn't leave one off and, 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 and do one and not the other. Not all. He, he put them together. So what's the benefit of believing and doing? You'll become like Jesus. Look at this. In that first verse, it's not like eternal life. It's like you'll start having eternal life right now. You can start living that and having that now. The full kind of life. The healed kind of life. The life that you really want. There's another verse in, in Romans where it says, if he died for us, what else also will he do for us? And you can just put behind those thoughts, what is in your, what else do you need? What else also will we do to him? If he loved us so much that he would die for us. I mean, that was his motivation. The prevailing motivation of God was that he loved us, loved us so much. What else will he do for us? So if you're someone who's not a Christian, this is the, this is the point. This is the place where you say, what else will he do with me? I'll take eternal life, I'll take it now, and I'll take it from here. And that's a great opportunity. 
but you have to do the first. And having done that, you move on to the second, which is to become more like him. Believing is only the beginning. When we become a Christian, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit enters into your life. The Holy Spirit, God, gets access to your life at that moment to begin to change you. The full benefits, like in my exercise program, go to the disciple. If in order to be a disciple, you have to hug your snakes. If you want to be a disciple, you better, if you want to make disciples, you better start telling people that there's going to be snakes right there from the very beginning. A believer burns fewer calories on their faith, and a dis- and, and a, or a few calories on their faith, and a disciple burns many. And we have supposed, or you have heard, that grace is opposed to effort, but it is not. Grace is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. And that has really caused a lot of misunderstanding in our lives. We kind of, Dallas Willard, I heard him when he said that, I was like, man, alive. That, that totally makes sense. You don't earn favor with God, but you definitely will not become more like him if you don't exert some effort to become like him. You know, what elite athlete wanting to be a champion just goes to the gym when they can work it in? <laughs> what elite athlete, if they want to be a champion, just eats what they want. Oh, they get intentional. They carve out portions of their calendar for training, for eating, and they get it all aligned because there are no overnight successes. What, it, what elite athlete has become a success overnight? None of them. See, I've, I've known many elite athletes. None of them, there are no overnight successes. You hear about them when they become famous and you think they're overnight successes, but there are no overnight successes. They have spent countless hours and time sweating to get to where they're at. Faith for a disciple burns many calories. A believer never proves their faith. A disciple proves it in every moment. You know, you, you need to, we need to have a way to prove our faith. There was a person that we knew years ago um, who was ab- an absolutely uh, difficult person to endure because she was very, she was very, very um, judgmental. And when she became a Christian, it was as though she had become the devil of hell. She was so judgmental. It was, so now, she, no, there was, she, she was judgmental before, but when she passed into the kingdom of God, she became not only a judge, but she became a crucifier too. Just calling people up for the same things that had been present in her life before. She called them up on that. You know, she really passed to a worse place than she had been before she was a Christian, at least in my mind. You know, the problem was that she had her knowledge here. There was what she believed, but it had, you know, hadn't fallen to her heart. It hadn't shown her how to love. Um, she hadn't, her faith wasn't wearing boots, is a way to think about it. You know, it wasn't doing, it wasn't doing the gospel. She was unchanged. That's a horrible place to be. No, nobody, wants, nobody wants to be there. I'm, I'm really passionate about this. You know, you don't have to be perfect. You have to be walking forward. When you're walking forward, a, a disciple is somebody who's walking forward, following Jesus. There's a passage in Scripture that says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God who works in you to will and to act in order his, to fulfill his purpose. So the first part, work out your salvation. So your salvation has happened, but it's moving forward out from there. When I started CrossFit, um, I could not do many things. And, I, and one of my favorite things to say was, I can't do that. But over time, 
I found I can do those things. And what's even more amazing, my horizons have been expanded. I can do, I'm dreaming of things that I thought impossible. I'm doing things I never thought I could do. The kingdom has gotten bigger for me, and it's, that is a, a great example of what it means to be a disciple. You think you can't, and you come into salvation, and then you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And guess what? Behind that, it's God who's working in you to do that. And so it's really the spirit and the strength of the spirit that's doing that. It's crazy. If you can trust God with your snakes, I said this earlier, I'm going to say it again, then he will certainly, you'll certainly be able to trust him with your finances, your financial relationships, the anger that we have in our lives that we heard in the song earlier. All those things will be easier. I put a question on Facebook on my status here a while back, and I got a lot of hits. And the status was, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? More Christians would be better disciples if they considered the fact that they could be absolutely wrong about the things that they are saying. Because someone who says, what am I wrong, and they're listening, is a person that's going to listen to snakes. Snakes bite us, and when they bite us, they make us question our assumptions, and they make us move on and take different positions and change and, and follow Jesus down the road. A disciple finds out where they're wrong. Here's, a, here's how you can tell whether you're not a disciple or a believer, you know. A disciple welcomes the bite and, and, and welcomes it as correction. And, and a believer repulses the correction. And this is the part now I talked about maybe a response for people that aren't Christians. I'm going to talk about a response for people that are Christians. But maybe you're starting to think, well, maybe I'm more of a believer than I'm a disciple. You, you need to be able to receive correction because if you can't receive correction, you won't receive affirmation either. If you can't hear correction, you won't be able to hear affirmation. If you can't hear God coming to you and saying, you're not all that, then in the moment when your life is really stuck in the mire, when you're really down, and he comes to you and he says, I love you so much, you won't be able to hear that. You have to be able to be bitten and wounded so that he can heal you. That's what was in that text earlier from Joel. Okay, now the last one. If I'm, if I'm a disciple, a person that's a disciple is a person of real integrity. Now this is like fighting words to say that people don't have integrity because that's like the the big new value in culture, right? I'm a person of integrity. And we say that integrity means to be somebody who, um, it, it, you're the same person, you know, when you're in secret and when you're in front of people. And that's not right, actually. As a better understand, way to understand integrity, that's kind of, I would say it's not right. That's not the best explanation. A better explanation for what integrity looks like is this. Now, put your geeky hats on. I send you a file, a data file with information of accounting transactions, let's say and you are to process them. In our process, somewhere you should assess the integrity of the data set that I sent you. And by that, that means you're going to make sure all of the data made it, none of it was corrupted, and that it's whole. And integrity really means to be whole, to be complete, to be uncorrupted, if you would. That's what integrity means. So people do this when they look at us and we say we're Christians. They say, there's what you, they're checking the integrity. There's what you say, there's what you do. Are they the same? Are they different? That's an integrity check. And actually, the ante for Christians on integrity is even higher. So think about this. This, is, this really encourages me. Jesus, on the night that he was, be, he was betrayed, said to his followers, if you have seen me, you have seen the follower. So he's an establishing the integrity check that says, there is an absolute one-to-one one one correlation between who I am and who Jesus is. And he invites us into that by saying, 
when people people know you're my followers because they'll know you by your love, which is his main drive and motivation. And so the anti for us as Christians is to be disciples who are integrous internally and integrous between ourselves and God. So that when people see us, they see whole people, not perfect people, but they also see God. Uh, this is amazing. I'm, this is Dallas Willard, not me. He said, this quote, he said, I am learning to live my life as Jesus would live it if he were me. That's what it means to be a disciple. I am learning to live my life as he would live it if he were me. I'm going to ask you some questions, and I want you to just contemplate them. So if you want to close your eyes, that's fine. Do it, whatever. doesn't have to be weird. But just I'm going to read them slowly as a way for us to maybe shake some things loose here. Am I a believer? Am I a disciple too? Do I bear any snake bites? When the snake bit me, did I look to God or did I complain or did I fear or did I run? Am I benefiting from my relationship with Christ? Am I sweating in my relationship with Christ? What if I'm wrong? Am I proving my faith is right or integrous? Am I living a life of integrity? When people see me, do they see me saying and doing the same things? When people see me, do they see God? You know, Jesus' last moments on this earth, he, when he ascended up into heaven, which is, you know, now the snake kind of goes up into the air. Everybody was kind of standing there looking up there like, what's up, man? Why'd he go up there? He went up, but the last thing he did is he gave us a great, he gave his followers, the disciples that were there, he gave them a great, he gave them um, a command. We call it the Great Commission. And really, th- what Dallas Willard says is that up till now, we have been guilty of a great omission. We have made believers and we have not made disciples. And so the great commission that Jesus gave his followers was go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Our opportunity is this. If you are not a believer, the opportunity is to begin to follow him today and become a disciple immediately because it doesn't take 20 years to be a disciple. You can be a disciple in a moment now and a a disciple in 20 minutes. It's a, it's a very even turf. If you're a believer, but you don't, you realize, man, I, I'm just not, deci- I'm not following. This is your moment. Same thing. Make the transition. Make the commitment. And it changes within a minute. And the, chan- and the, the challenge for us is, I would say, in our community in this transition, let's do this. Let's get really serious about being disciples. That will change our city. God sends snakes to bite us, to make us into disciples. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, your promise to send snakes to bite us. Thank you uh, for Warehouse, which is such a wonderful place. I love my friends. I pray that um, where they are wounded, that you will send healing. I pray that where you put your seed in their hearts, it will grow. In your son's name we pray, amen.
We were going to do it. That last song, uh, last song we sang, um, you know, we sing it all the time, and it has that thing in there, Son of David, don't pass me by. I'm weak, I'm poor, I'm blind, or whatever it is. Um, that happened. That's not a metaphor. That's a real story. It happened one day when Jesus was going along a road, and he came upon uh, two blind men. And so if you imagine, you know, they were on the ground. I mean, they were on the ground, bitten by a snake. Um, they really were poor, and they really were blind. Um, it struck me during this talk, and I didn't really put it out there the way I quite wanted to during the talk, but we are all very, very wounded. And um, it is really important for us to melt that down to just this, just what those guys, those blind guys did. We are all wounded. We're wounded by snakes in life. The cure is in another snake, and you've got to look up, and that's Jesus. So look up, look up, look up. When they cried that out, so I'm hoping you remember this whenever we sing a song. When they cried that out to Jesus, he healed them, and he responded and said, follow me. Go in peace.